0: Thanks for checking out the New Life Speakers podcast. All of our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. Our group is self-supporting through the seven traditions, so if you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating. You can do this with either Venmo or PayPal at New Life Speakers. Links to these can be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org, or you can use the link in the description. We greatly appreciate your generosity. More information about recovery and our upcoming events can also be found on our website. Again, that's newlifespeakers.org. And if you know some people in need, please share this with them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe. How
1: are you guys doing? I'm Scott. I'm an alcoholic. What's up, Scott? Uh, Thanks for having me here tonight. This is actually my first in-person I've done since COVID. done a bunch of Zoom presentations, but I'm pretty excited to be here. So thank you. I just want to get a gauge on what we have in here. Who in here, put your hand up if you have a year or less? Two years or less? Three? Five? Nice, nice. Anybody over five? Sweet, sweet, 10? Nice, all right, awesome. Well, I'm here tonight to talk to you guys about thinking, not drinking. This program is all about our thinking. We come in for our drink and we stay for our thinking. That's the reality of it. Uh, my name is Scott Liesack. Uh, I don't believe in the anonymity for myself. If you want to look me up, feel free to look me up. I'm here to help. I will talk to you guys. My sobriety date is June 1st, of 2018. So i got three and a half years, you know, pushing towards four here. Pretty excited about that. And it's been life changing. My recovery journey started in 2014. And the reason I pushed, position it that way is because no time was lost. I wasn't sober the whole time, but I learned a ton between 2014 and 2018. Um, a lot of people frown upon relapses. Every single one of us has relapsed. Whether you think you have or not, whether you came into AA and you just got it, and you've been sober for 10 years, you still relapse because you woke up one morning and said, I'm never going to drink again. And you drank that night. That's how it works for us. That's how we all do this. So what causes us to drink? Why do we do that? What causes us to use drugs? It's all about our thinking. When I was a kid, I was good at sports. I was a professional athlete by the time I was 15. I was a professional bicycle racer, uh, racing international professional at 15. Uh, Had a lot of friends in school. I was always not a popular kid, but not an unpopular kid. And all of that left a void in my soul. I felt weird. Like, I always felt like I didn't belong. I always felt like I wasn't the person that I actually was. I had a huge case of imposter syndrome. So I didn't recognize what I was capable of. I didn't recognize the person I was and what I could give back. That started at an early age for me. Just that feeling inside of your chest. And a lot of people I talk to in recovery know that. Just that open feeling inside of your chest. I had that at a young age. I started drinking at 14. Don't have to get into the details. We all know how to drink. We all know how to use drugs. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting in this room on a Friday night. Am I right? So, I'm not going to tell you about that. But that was my time frame when I started. Throughout high school, I drank on the weekends. Drank progressively more. I wanted to be the guy who could drink the most beers, not the least beers. It was a popularity thing. Then I went to college. Went to Penn State. Any of you who have ever been to State College or partying in State College can probably read the next five years of my life. I actually fucking graduated. I have no idea how I did that. But... I did, and that was where my drinking really accelerated. I was a firefighter, Uh, I lived at a firehouse, saw some really nasty stuff, had some PTSD things to deal with later in my life. Uh, But the way we handled it at that point was go out to the bars and drink. That was my thinking. My thinking was so uncontrollable that I had to drink, I had to suppress it. I had to figure out a way to not think about what I was thinking about at that time. So that progressed. After college, all my buddies went out and got real jobs and everything. I started a company and uh, you know didn't have a real job at that point. I was out of money, living in my parents' basement. And the difference between them and me was they all were going to work 9 to 5, sober. I was going to work from 7 to 3, pretty drunk. So that was a big difference because I was self-employed at that point. I never stopped drinking. I never got rid of that lifestyle I was living at Penn State. So with that, it carried me through... To the next following years. I started recognizing I had a problem probably by the time I was 22. I, I wasn't, I wasn't denied, I, I wasn't denial. I noticed I was drinking more than my friends. I noticed I was drinking more than other people. And if the group I was drinking with on Tuesday night didn't want to go out Wednesday night, I had another group for Wednesday night and then Thursday night. So I was able to create this environment around me that made it feel right, made it feel like I was doing what everybody else was doing. And the reality was, I wasn't. And that just carried me through a whole lot of drinking till 2014. That was my first wake-up call. Uh, I was two weeks away from my wedding. Um, my fiancé at the time, my wife now, and luckily we made it through this. I'm not quite sure how. Um, she gave me the ultimatum. I was, we were moving into our new apartment that we were going to be living in for our first year of marriage. And I drank the entire liquor cabinet the first couple days. I don't know how many days it was. I don't know how much I drank. It was a lot, though. I drank the entire liquor cabinet. And she gave me the ultimatum of, you got to stop drinking or I'm not marrying you in two weeks. So that was a kick in the nuts for me. I was like, all right, I really have to do something about this. This is a woman of my dreams. I want this to happen. Uh, i got to stop. So there was my first failure in recovery. I did everything there for her. It was not for me. I didn't want to stop drinking. I wanted to marry her. And if that was the ultimatum, I wanted to marry her more than I wanted to keep drinking at the time, but it wasn't for me. So I did that started going to AA. The day that happened, uh, had full support of my parents, had full support of my wife. And it was really nice to have that atmosphere around me. We got rid of all the alcohol in the house. None of that was ever a struggle for me. That was gone. Um, which sucked at that point in time, but it was gone. You know, we'll we'll get to that point. And I started going to AA, started doing some outpatient uh, rehabilitation. I I had, uh, I wasn't quite doing IOP, but I was doing multi times a week with a counselor and, um, you know, really started getting my thought process around this. Um, That was revolutionary for my recovery. I didn't stay sober after that point in time, but I really started to pinpoint, wow, I drink a lot more. Than Other people do. This is not normal. This is not the way I should be living my life. Um, the problem I had was I wasn't ready to stop. I didn't want to stop. I thought I could get this. I thought I could, you know, get an A and AA and then move on and go start drinking again. You know, that, that was always my logic at that point in time. Um, so I had no desire to truly stop drinking. I had a desire to learn. I had a desire to better myself as a person and understand what made me tick, What understand what made me drink. But I had no desire to actually stop drinking at that point in time. That's okay. In my story, that's a pivotal point for me because I started to learn that stuff about myself. I started to learn the importance of what I needed to accomplish in recovery. I started to learn what made me tick. I had no idea what I was really learning about at that point in time, but I was starting to get inside here, a place that was a foreign land to me. So at that point in time, I made it close to six months. I uh, had a six-month stretch, and one day, it was around the holidays, I was like, you know what? I'm going out. I'm drinking today. I'm going to go get a bottle, bring it back. I'll drink it before anybody gets home. Nobody's ever going to know I drink. You know, you guys know how that story goes. No, nobody's ever going to know because we don't smell for three days after we drink that amount of alcohol, but, you know. Uh, uh, that's, that's the sickness. That's the disease. So at that point, you know, I, I had a little bender and went for a couple of days and I felt the progression for the first time. I hadn't drank for months, picked up and instantly was off to the races again. It was instant. And I was like, okay, well, all right. That, that was kind of scary. Maybe I do need to stop. Started going back to AA again. Um, I had one or two more slip ups there for a little while and then uh, really got to myself, I was like, you know what, AA is not for me. I, I don't think that's where I want to be. That's, that's not going to get me sober. I'm doing this on my own. That entered the worst period of my entire life. I got 18 months sober there with absolutely no solution to replace my alcohol. I didn't know how to think. I didn't know how to act. I didn't know what I was doing without alcohol. I was suppressing all these emotions I couldn't even comprehend to get to the surface with the alcohol. And I just took that out of the equation. I was depressed, I was miserable, I put on 60 pounds, I was eating a lot, I wasn't doing anything, I'm a motivated person to go out and do everything, I did nothing for that 18 months, and that was just, that was awful, but I got to the end of it, and it was like, you know what, I think I can drink again, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try this, and talk to my wife about it, you yeah, know, in the, in the cunning way that we can do that, I got her convinced that I was good, and she believed me, so went out to dinner, had a beer. And the worst thing happened, it stopped at one beer that night. And I'm like, see, got this. Check this out. Look at that. So the next night I had another beer. Stopped, no problem. Went a couple days and didn't drink anything. I'm like, see, what's with all this progression stuff? No way. So, fast forward for a couple weeks, and that one beer went to two beers. The two beers went to a six pack after work, six pack of lager at first, and then it was like, all right, you know, six beers isn't bad, you know, whatever. This isn't getting too bad. And then that six pack went to a high test IPA at 12%. Cause it's still only six beers. Who cares? You know, and just started going and going and going and started drinking during the day again Then and stopped just drinking a six pack. And then, mind you, this was like a three week period. This wasn't a very long period of time. This is like a three week period. Um, so I started drinking during the day again and it was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm still getting stuff done. Still showing up to work. This is fine. I can manage this. No problem. And, then it started really affecting things. And then I started not doing my work. Then I started not doing things and other people started really noticing, Hey, you're drinking again. You're drinking again. We know you're drinking again. No, I'm not drinking again. Oh, you smell like booze and you have a bottle in your hand. What the fuck are you talking about? You're not drinking again. All right, you got me. Um, so that led me up to the time frame where I really started realizing how out of control I was, how much this needed to change. Um, this is August time frame of 2017. Uh, started, I had a day that I went on a bender all day. I was at work running heavy equipment, you know, dig, digging with an excavator, knocking trees over and stuff at, in, our, in our yard at the shop. And uh, a bunch of guys just came up to me and called me out and they're like, what are you doing, dude? You can't be running equipment right now. You can't be doing this. Like, you, you can't do that. I'm like, all right. And that day, that, that, was, real, that was a real blow to me because it was like, wow, these guys are seeing this. I look like a complete jerk right now. I don't want to look like a jerk. So that was, that was my first era of acceptance. Like I, I don't do good things when I'm drinking. I don't want to be that person. I'm a good person inside and that's not who I am when I'm drinking. So maybe I do need to stop. Um, linked up with my old sponsor that I had and started going to meetings with him again. And that was really a pivotal point started going back to meetings started getting it started really being interested started working steps um i had work steps before that but it was i didn't even i didn't have the brain capacity to understand what the steps meant at that point in time so this time i was really starting to grasp it admitted that i was powerless over alcohol done that a million times before um, but fully embraced that i was truly powerless because i felt it that time it just got to the point that it ramped up and i couldn't go back went to meetings a lot and uh Fast forward a couple months, I had a relapse probably four months in, then I had another relapse about two months after that. And uh, that, at that point, I started really having some issues with PTSD from some really nasty things I had seen earlier in life. And that was really hard. That added a whole nother element to this. So I didn't know how to deal with the emotions that I never dealt with that brought that PTSD. Started going to counseling. Phenomenal. Uh, the this is a kind of bittersweet portion of my story. The counselor I saw was spot on. He nailed my PTSD. It to this day is working. I use those tools when stuff pops up. I have gotten past other things that haven't popped up. However, I went to a counselor who was not a drug and alcohol counselor, and he told me some of the worst news for my addiction that I ever heard. You're not an alcoholic. You're drinking to suppress this stuff. So I think you might be able to drink again if you want to. And that's that's don't listen to anybody that would ever tell you that if you if you ever get yourself in that position don't listen to that that was the best music I had ever heard in my entire life and was like oh, all right well I'm going I'm gonna go all right that's that's cool let's work through this PTSD stuff and I'm done um so I started drinking again and that time the progression was just insane absolutely insane I had gone to a couple of the places that I had experienced the PTSD because that was one of the, the tools to get past it, go back to the physical location, sit there, cry, experience the emotions, do all of this stuff that he told me worked awesome for the PTSD, but guess what? It was in State College. I was at a bar a half hour later. So I went there, got really drunk that night, and that was when I really started drinking again, really started drinking. and it just kept going and going and this is we're talking march time frame of 2018 it progressed through march progressed into april my wife and i went to jamaica so we had an all-inclusive uh resort stay and if anybody's ever been to those you know how those go so that was the last time i actually enjoyed drinking before that i wasn't enjoying it after that i wasn't enjoying it but that trip i do have good memories about um and once we got home from that trip, there was so much drinking that happened on that trip, I couldn't stop. Sun up to sundown, could not stop. Got to points where it was like, I need to stop. And I'd stop for a couple days, just get through the shakes, just get through all the withdrawal, and then start right up again. And it got to a point the week before I went into rehab, which was the last week of May 2018, I could not stop. I. Could not stop. That was the first time I ever got to the point. I just couldn't stop. It wasn't a shakes thing. It wasn't a drinking away my hangover thing. It was just I needed that alcohol. I was drinking a bottle a day, a six pack in there as well, maybe a bottle of wine, whatever I could get my hands on. And it got to the point that I recognized what I was doing, and I'm like, this is not good. Like, I'm going to lose my wife. At that point, I had two kids by then, and I'm like, I'm going to lose my two kids. This is not good. So natural course, rather than stopping drinking, I started locking myself in a closet to drink so nobody would know I was drinking, you know, because it's perfectly normal for a grown man to sit in a closet for hours at a time and not come back out. So that was my solution at that point. And uh, it was a Friday that I went to rehab and that day, I woke up that morning, could not stop drinking and called a couple of friends Called my wife, called my sponsor, and was just like, I I can't do this. Uh, That was my true bottom. That was my sick and tired of being sick and tired. I could not do it anymore. That was not the way I wanted to live. I turned into a 230-pound ball of drunkenness, which was never the person that I was, never the person I wanted to be. And I got out of breath going up steps at that point because all I was doing was sitting around and drinking. And um, at that point, I got some help getting into a rehab, I said, I've tried the AA meetings a million times. Um, I, I need something more. There's value there. I can't see it yet. I need help getting to the point that I see the full value that I need out of these meetings. And, um, I had spoken at rehabs at that point in time. I had shared p- bits and pieces of my story by that time. So I knew, knew what I was getting into. And I was a little bit more comfortable. It wasn't like, oh man, I'm just, I'm going to rehab that like, that's crazy. It was like, no, I, I need to go to rehab. This, this is what I need to be doing. So I did, and I was off to the races. The day I got there, that was for me. That was the first time that it was for me. I did not want to drink anymore. I gave up a month of my life to go get the rest of my life back at that point. And that was how I visited it. I was off to the races as soon as I got there. I was taking notes. I was talking to everybody I could talk to. I was getting as much out of it as I could. Because my journey was four years before that. So I had learned a whole lot about recovery in that time frame. I didn't stay sober, but I learned a lot about it. So that was valuable. That knowledge didn't go away. Through the relapses, through not staying sober, you know, my sobriety date extended, but I did learn a whole lot. And that's why anybody who ever relapses, this is not me condoning relapses either. Don't, it's not worth it. But if you do relapse, don't beat yourself up too much. Go back to meetings. You already learned a lot. Start getting back, start getting back tied in with everybody because we all know where it is. And most of us have relapsed. There are a very select few in these rooms that come in and just get it and do it. And there are a lot out there that do that as well. But the relapses happen. Don't forget the skills that you learned. So from there, I got out and I had to repair my entire life. Once I was out of rehab, I was ready. I was happy. I was on the pink cloud. I was ready to live a new life. My life wasn't ready for me, though. They were like, uh, you, you were just drunk. Do you remember what you left like? I'm like no, I don't. Do you? <laughs> um, but... That was the challenging part. I was doing six months of IOP. Um, it wasn't a true IOP again. It was, it was a, a counselor that I went to, but it was like an IOP setup. I was easing back into work, easing back into my marriage, which had no trust. Uh, and my wife didn't even know who I was at that point. So I had a lot of work to do and I was ready for it that time though. No matter what it took, I was ready to lose everything to get myself back if that's what it took which was a really cool spot to be. I never felt that way before. I was so egotistical, not, my life's not going away. I'm, I'm not giving any of this up, no way. This is my stuff. And at that point I was like, I don't care what I lose as long as I don't lose myself anymore. So that switch was huge for me. Moving through that time is when I really started learning more about my thinking, learning more about how my personal growth could go, learning more about the steps, working through the steps with a sponsor, Working through learning who I was and what made me tick. I had to look at me. This had nothing to do with drinking anymore. This had to do with my thinking. This had to do with that pit that I felt in my heart since I was a little kid. This had to do with the way I was living and the way I wanted to live. That was motivation enough for me right there. I wanted to live a good life. I wanted to live a life to my fullest. And I was motivated to do it took time. took a lot of time. Um, September of that year, I I guess I was three months, three or four months sober. I blew out my back, like, catastrophically. Herniated two discs in my back, and that laid me up. Any other time, that would have been a great time to pick up and start drinking again because I wouldn't have felt my back pain. But I pushed through, and I had the courage to go into all the doctors I saw and say, I'm an alcoholic in recovery. I can't get any pain meds. I don't trust myself to use anything like that and i couldn't believe i actually said that the first time i said it it was so uncomfortable it could barely come out of my mouth second time i said it it felt a little better the fifth time i said it i'm like i'm pretty pretty proud of myself like i'm, I'm actually saying this I'm, I'm holding true to this and that experience was kind of like my karma catching up with me i feel like because i was in excruciating pain for three months laying in a bed for a month and a half because i couldn't move that was how bad it was no pain pills besides ibuprofen over the counter that was it and It was, suck it up, buttercup, you did this, you can't do anything else, just suck it up and get through this. And that was a very mentally challenging and mentally building stage for me, to get through that. And naturally, at that point in time, I started reading books. I started doing the steps, I started doing step work on phone calls with my sponsor. I started reading Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, and learning about what some of my character defects were why my fears had gotten in my way, what I was actually afraid of and how stupid that was to be afraid of. Like fear of failure is my biggest one. That's a lot of our biggest one, right? I have learned over the years, that's the dumbest fear to ever have. Failure is like one of the best things we can do in life because every failure you have, you have that negative experience of the failure, but you have five to 10 lessons attached to that. So embrace those lessons. Embrace the suck of that failure and then embrace the lessons that you learn from it And don't do it again. And that's how I learned how to approach failure in that time frame. So at that point, it shifted from a recovery-only journey to an actual personal growth journey for me. I wanted to grow as a person. I wanted to be a better leader. I wanted to be a better person. I wanted to be a better father. I wanted to be a better husband. So I wanted to change the way I lived more than just alcohol. Um, at that point in time, um, not, I always want to dance around this topic, but I'm the CEO of a large landscape company. That's what I do for my job. That is not egotistical. That's to show you the amount of responsibility I had that I was leaving behind when I was out drinking. Um, So with that responsibility, I started seeing a lot of stuff in my organization that was getting better as I was getting better. I'm like, huh, this is really cool. So that motivated me to just keep growing too. So we had threefold there. I wanted to be better for my family. I wanted to be better for my, my uh, recovery. And I wanted to be better for my company. At that point, I fully embraced personal growth and recovery as number one. It has to be. Otherwise, you lose everything else. That message is delivered to you all the time in different ways, different methods. But it has to be. Personal growth and recovery has to be number one. There, that is the most selfless thing we can do. Doing something for ourselves sounds like it should be selfless, but that is selfless because if we don't do what we need to for us first, everything else goes away. So I started embracing that and really working for myself and on myself. I started getting in touch with my spiritual realm on a whole nother plane and... Spiritual journey is awesome, isn't it? It's just like that, that is the most powerful part of this program. That is the most powerful part I experienced. I went from barely believing in God to having my first spiritual experience while I was at rehab talking to a pastor to praying a lot and just feeling things, feeling different emotions, feeling better about things, to seeing prayers get answered, to having more and more spiritual experiences. You don't need to have a spiritual awakening to experience what the spirituality is doing to you. Every time you stop at a stop sign that you normally do a roll through and somebody blows it the other direction, that's a spiritual experience. Somebody was watching out for you at that point in time that made you stop so you avoided that accident. So it's crucial in recovery to make sure that we're watching out for these spiritual experiences because as we have all these experiences, they culminate together. And then we have our spiritual awakening. And we're going to have way more than this. One spiritual awakening, too. Uh, I've had, I couldn't even tell you how many I've had. It just is layer after layer and keeps getting better and better and better. Um, life beyond your wildest dreams. That's something that we hear. That's something that we're promised when we come into these rooms. It doesn't happen overnight. Doesn't happen in the first year. For me, anyway. It took about two years until I really started saying, holy crap, my life is really good right now. I'm making more money than I ever made before. People are happy and trust me. If somebody calls me, I answer the phone and I don't have to worry about calling them back, even though they just wanted to ask me how my day was and getting stressed about that. It was just incredible, the experience that started happening. So then COVID hits, and that kind of took us away from meetings, and that kind of took us away from my avenues. I was going to rehabs on a regular basis to tell my story. I was going to meetings on a regular basis. I was starting to sponsor people And I was in it, I was in it, and then everything shut off. I'm really glad that I had almost two years when that happened, because I think if I was at a little less than a year instead of a little less than two years, I don't know if I would have made it through it, to be honest with you. I hope I would have, and there's no way to ever tell, but I made so much progress between year one and year two that I'm not confident I would have made it, because I was still a wreck for that first year. Year two was better. Year three made it through, started taking my commitments that I had and doing them on Zoom meetings. That was a blessing in disguise. I was able to still share my story with the rehab, still keep those commitments going. Um, And I didn't want to drink. I got to that point. That was the point in time in my recovery that I truly started getting to the point I did not want to drink. I was not getting cravings and it was almost repulsive to think about drinking at that point. So that was powerful. That was a good time frame for me. With that, I kept growing and I started to grow distant from the AA program. That was my roadmap for my life at that point. So I had already been through the steps three times by then and I really, that was the way I was living. It started becoming more my subconscious thought than actually having to think about it. Every morning, wake up in the morning, I have a five, five, uh, five item list of gratitude that I write every single morning in a gratitude journey. I have prayers every morning before I even get out of bed. Then I get out of bed, do 30 push-ups, and make my bed. That's my morning routine. That all started very early on in my recovery. And by that point in time, I was able to do that. Routine is crucial. We all need routine to continue this. Because as soon as you get out of routine, your mind starts wandering a little bit. Start doing something a little differently over here. Start doing something a little differently over here. And that's where we start getting into a dangerous path. Whether it's going back out and using or drinking again or not, it still starts affecting our thinking. And then... A relapse doesn't happen overnight at that point. That takes time to build up. So you start slacking on some of your commitments. You start slacking on some of your routine. A month later, that turns into getting really irritated, really aggravated at somebody and having a reaction that you shouldn't have. And that pisses you off to the point you can't control those emotions. That takes you out drinking. Two months after all this stuff starts. That's the way relapses work for me. So at that point... I wanted to really continue my personal growth journey. I was distant from AA, but I knew I felt really good with what I was doing. So I kept growing and started listening to audiobooks, started listening to leadership audiobooks, started listening to personal growth audiobooks, started reading as much as I could get into my head and listening to as much as I could get into my head. And that was when my recovery took a different spin. It went to personal growth rather than just recovery. Recovery is part of it. I know I can never drink again. And that's exactly where I am. And I still follow the 12 steps to this day. I still follow the principles, taking constant inventory of myself, making amends when I have to. Um, but with that separation I had, it added a whole nother element to this. And that got me to start thinking, a lot of people could benefit from this that aren't drug users, aren't alcoholics. What, how can we get something out there for other people to start growing? So I brought that back into my company then, and I started working on personal growth with my entire organization, which what do we always say to keep it? You got to give it away. That was a whole nother realm, a whole nother means of giving it away, giving it back to people that were alcoholic, that were addicts, that were not people that were just miserable and depressed and teaching them a roadmap of how to live their lives teaching them a roadmap to how to constantly better themselves, teaching them how to be uncomfortable or how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. That's a big one. Anybody in this room, you got to learn how to be comfortable be- being uncomfortable. That's part of personal growth. That's part of recovery. That's what we have to do. Coming into this room, it's hugely uncomfortable, but the second time is a little less and a little less. That's true with everything that we do in recovery, everything that we do to grow ourselves. Um, so that really sparked a whole New element for me. I was able to do what I was doing in meetings at work all day long with people. And then something crazy happened. I learned half of my staff were alcoholics or drug addicts at some point in time that were either in recovery, not in recovery, not doing anything for themselves, still using. I got that out of a couple guys, and rather than firing them, I helped them through that stuff. Um, But it was crazy because the openness, the transparency, the ability I had to be honest with myself to get to that point allowed everybody else to open up and be honest with me. I was honest. I was vulnerable. We have had multiple talks, and everybody in my company knows my journey and knows that I went to rehab and knows that I was an alcoholic and knows that I still am an alcoholic and can never drink again. And with that, creates a transparency that is unmatched anywhere else. So with that, I have at this point realized I built a life around me That revolves around recovery. Revolves around me bettering myself. Everybody in my life that I interact with on a daily basis keeps me accountable. If any of them would ever smell alcohol or see me with a beer, they're going to know something's really wrong. And they're going to call me out like that because they know my story. And that's what I've asked them to do. So that's powerful. Having that network behind you. Now today, what I do is I'm getting back into AA slowly with the pandemic. I never separated from AA for any bad, uh, bad blood or anything like that. It was just kind of the whole thing with COVID made, made me distant from it, unfortunately. So I'm really excited to be getting back into it right now. And um, one thing that we had through that entire thing, I have a group text message uh, with 14 people in recovery every single day. We share the daily reflection. We share positive words. We share struggles that we're going through and help each other out. So it's like having a meeting in my pocket all day long, every day. If I ever have a struggle, I send it through that message. If I ever have a struggle, I go to the office next to my office and say, Hey, Kevin, I'm having a real tough time right now, man. Can we talk for 10 minutes? And that makes it go away. Got to be transparent. Got to be honest. Got to be open with everybody in your life about this. It's okay. And the more you do that, the more normal you're gonna feel about this. And then the more you're gonna realize normal's not real. There is no such thing as normal. We're all different, we're all individuals. We all tick a little bit differently. And we all have our problems. We all chose to drink or use drugs around our problems. So we're kind of fortunate for that. Because a lot of people are out there just trying to deal with it on their own. I don't know how how they do that. Um, But now, with this solution, put in place instead of the substances that's how we can do this and we can share that with other people i've learned in my interactions with other people i need to pause i can't react i need to respond so when something pisses me off and my blood starts boiling i need to step back calm down take a deep breath and wait till i'm able to respond instead of react because when i react bad things happen i yell at people that i shouldn't yell at I get really nasty to my kids. I get really nasty to my wife. I burn bridges in business. I burn friendships. So I don't want to react. That's not me. I want to respond. I want to analytically take in everything that comes to me and I want to respond to what is happening. Um, Today's a great day. I love where I've gotten in my journey. I love every experience I had while I was drinking. The good and the bad. Because it's made me the person I am today. And if I didn't go through all of the turmoil I went through when I was in the shit, I wouldn't be the man I am today. Recovery has turned me into the person I am today. Drinking got me to recovery. I'm grateful for that every day. I really am. We have an ability to shame ourselves and really have some remorse about what we have done. And... It's okay. Everything that we've done is pretty cool, and we're here. We're alive. That's the coolest part about this. I like to embrace that. All right,
0: I've asked Greg to read a vision for you. Thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speakers podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through its seven tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link on our website, newlifespeakers.org. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and thanks for listening.